listening to Affect Autism, where Affect is the number one tool we use in supporting child development through playful interactions. And this week we have with us Donnie Welch. He is a poet and educator who runs poetry workshops around New York City for students with developmental disabilities. He is also the creative writing teacher at the Rebecca School in Manhattan, which we've blogged about many times here at affectautism.com. And the poetry workshops that he does started at the Rebecca School some time ago, where he started his teaching career as a teaching assistant. So this poetry workshop program really grew out of the DIR Foundation, the Developmental Individual Differences Relationship-Based Model that we talk about here at affectautism.com. So I'm thrilled to have you. Welcome, Donnie. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, I always love covering different topics at Affect Autism because, um, you know, I try and speak to a number of people that do different uh, developmental work in the DIR world, and we've never done a podcast about poetry. So I'm super (laughs) excited to hear all about it. And why don't we start there? Tell us what you do. Cool. So I run poetry workshops. Um, but the poetry workshops are a little bit different than what you might expect. They're not um, like a fine arts, BFA, MFA <clears throat> poetry workshop where everyone is sitting around a table and doing a free write and then maybe reading some Whitman or Frost or Hughes. So we do read quite a bit of Hughes um, in some of the sessions I run. Okay, I like you've, say, already, you've already lost me. So BFA, Bachelor of Fine Arts, MFA, Master of Fine Arts. Yep. Poetry. Yeah, sorry. I, I've never had any poetry experience. I think I took first year English in university, but that's about it. So what do typical poetry workshops look like? And then how do yours differ? Sure. So a typical poetry workshop in a college or university setting will have usually a professor at the head of a table. Um, Students will come in, sit around a long circular or rectangular table. Um, And then usually once a week, it'll be one poet's turn to turn in a set of poems, usually two or three, depending on how long the workshop runs for. And that poet's work is what's talked about. Uh, the sessions will also involve some close reading to kind of warm up. Um, and then after that close reading is when the poets will dive into that one individual's uh, poem or two poems, or if it's a fiction workshop, it might be a short story with the expectation being that the homework for everyone would have been to read this person's work and give critiques so that when you come back to class, the class time is spent talking about and really delving into that single or a couple of pieces of one person's writing. Um, so while I pulled a little bit from that, especially with the reading and with this idea of sharing space, right? Because fundamentally that workshop model is about sharing space, about giving someone the attention and time and taking your own time to really find their voice and help them explore their voice. There are a lot of elements of that that bleed into the work that I do. Uh, But I like to describe my workshops as a way where movement helps us understand rhythm, rhythm helps us understand poetry, and poetry helps us understand each other. Those are the three core tenets of the work that I do. So the workshops... Can you you repeat that? I love that. Sure. Um, So movement helps us understand rhythm. Rhythm helps us understand poetry and poetry helps us understand each other. 
That's awesome. And that's what we all want for our kids who are autistic is, is for people to hear their voice. Yes, absolutely. Um, so getting to that for the workshops I run starts with some movement. It could be something that engages a fine motor system. It could be something that engages a gross motor system. Um, so fine motor being, you know, your digits, your fingertips, uh, your small eye muscles, your gross motor system being your larger muscle groups, your arms, your legs, your thighs, I'm doing a little dance on screen that people listening can't see. But I like to do things that engage these different motor systems. And particularly, I like to use rhythm to do it. So poetry has a lot of rhythm in it, right? There are a lot of aspects, whether formal or free verse or slam, um, slam being, you know, spoken word poetry. Uh, there's rhythm, there's musicality to the genre. I'm taking this fundamental aspect and turning it into a sensory experience is fundamental to the work I do. So when I come into a room for the first time with, you know, eight, 10, however many poets, I may not know where everyone is developmentally, right? Where I'm working, but I know that rhythm is something that everyone is able to do, whether they can clap, whether they can tap, whether they can use a device, or maybe they need the help of an aid, but everyone can work to make a little beat. Two, three, four, all together now. Two, three, and four. And so the first couple sessions are really working on this as a way of both regulating and engaging and creating this shared space where the rhythm, it's all that's happening, right? This repetitious work. And once you get that one, two, three, four, maybe challenge it by going one, two, three, four. Can you go one, a two, three, four? And you keep playing with and tweaking that rhythm until what you have is this really fluid, engaging, dynamic call and response happening. And then when you have that foundational aspect of poetry, then you can start exploring language or the emergence of language or however it needs to look for that group of poets. And how many kids are typically in your groups? Like let's, let's say at the Rebecca school, since we mentioned them, um, yeah. how many kids would be in your workshop? Sure. So when I'm working at the Rebecca school, I like to keep it between five and 10 kids. I find that eight is really a sweet spot. Anything more than 10 gets a little too chaotic. Anything less than five. Um, when we get to that, real workshop poetic uh, element of it. It doesn't have the kind of robust socialization that I like to have, right? Because when a group gets to the point where they're writing and we're working and that back and forth, which is part of like we were talking earlier, the more typical university college workshop setting is also fundamental here. So a writing lesson might start with me putting up a couplet on a board. So a couplet is two lines of poetry often rhymed. Um, so at the Rebecca school, for example, a couple of that I started when I started this program, uh, was Optimus Prime came right on time because I knew that the Transformers were a very motivating topic for a lot of the poets I was working with in this group. And so we started with Optimus Prime came right on time and we took that rhythm work that I was speaking to earlier and added the language piece to it. So now it was keeping that beat and you're like, Optimus Prime came right on time. Okay. Who's going next? And everyone got a turn to speak. And then once we could do that couplet, I added Optimus Prime came right on time when Bumblebee busted his knee. So then it's Optimus Prime came right on time when Bumblebee busted his knee. And it became this fun. It's a quatrain now. 
And after that, and after we were able to explore that language, I turned the writing over to the poets. So the writing at first looked like just scribbling a couple lines onto note cards. And I used note cards in particular um, because for a lot of the poets I was working with, this was maybe their first time doing some harder focused academic work like poetry, right? Like what, like you asked at the start, what does a poetry workshop look like? It, it's something that's pretty new to a lot of people, neurodiverse or neurotypical. Not everyone has this experience of taking this maybe um, unclear expectation and making it, oh, well, we're just writing two lines on these note cards. They didn't have to be rhymed. They didn't necessarily um, have to be any length, but I asked the poets to keep in mind that rhythm, right? At this point, we've been working on the rhythm for quite a while. So I was like, as you write, like, keep in mind we're writing about the Transformers and keep in mind that one, two, three, four, keep that rhythm in your head as you write. And that was sort of our guiding principle. And then the actual structuring of it is where that back and forth comes. So everyone has a turn to put their note card up on the board. And then from there, we explore the order of the poem. Oh, well, what do you think should go next? This poet said, Iron Hyde also busted his legs. Should we put that right after Bumblebee busted his knee? And you know, another poem might be like, no, 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 I can't go there. And so we need to get to this point where we can have this back and forth and this conversation about what piece of the poem goes where without feelings getting hurt, where everyone is able to remain regulated when their idea is challenged. And it takes a lot of work. Um, and that rhythm work is what lays the foundation, not only for the writing, but for that social emotional space as well. That's amazing. So really, it's a creation. Um, the poem, the end product is a creation of everyone in the room participating. Yeah, correct. Um, so yeah, it starts as a collaborative poem, really. Um, it involves everyone adding their part, everyone sharing their ideas about what part should go where, and it takes a while, right? This isn't like a one, two, even three session activity, especially the first time you do it. It could take upwards of a month or two to make it happen. And then maybe the next time you do it, it moves a little faster, but it's slow and it's process oriented like a lot of good floor time is. I'm glad you brought that up because um, we did a couple of blogs and podcasts at Affect Autism on the process oriented learning that's done at the mm -hmm. Rebecca School. And so I will refer listeners to affectautism.com. And if you type in the search, you can type in Donnie Welch, you can type in poetry you can type in process-oriented learning or Rebecca School, and you'll see all of the uh, related podcasts pop up to find out more about that. But essentially, the process-oriented learning, and you can um, elaborate if, if I left anything out, is where sure. we're focused on the process, not the product. So mm -hmm. the process, like you mentioned, is a social process where we're working together collaboratively. And you mentioned all of the the buzzwords of floor time and the DIR model, like um, we are are together in, in a rhythm, you're getting regulated together. The movement mm -hmm. is helping the individual differences, the sensory profiles of the group. And then you have the social aspect, the back and forth at the uh, third functional emotional capacity after engagement at the second capacity, the third capacity, the back and forth. And that uh, social problem solving at the fourth capacity where everybody is collaborating and working together to decide where do these uh, lines go in the poem. So it, it's really amazing. It reminds me um, of the process oriented learning that uh, process oriented learning that um, 
in Atlanta at the community school that Dave Nelson talks about, although it wasn't poetry, he talked about the exercises that they do and and said similar things. It could take a while where we're negotiating and, and getting that social back and forth with everyone. So um, Mm -hmm. that's amazing. So how, um, so many, so many questions come up for me, I (laughs) guess. um, Well, I'll just throw a bunch out there and then sort of pick and choose. So I'm thinking, what if someone's away one week, if it's like multiple weeks or what if a new student comes in, how does that work to get them in and, and feeling safe, like they're part of the group, like they're not the outsider, or um, if someone misses a week. Also, uh, of course, you mentioned it, finding out what developmental level. Um, the first thing that popped in my head is that my son, who's 10, but developmentally maybe more like a four- or five-year-old, has motor um, planning challenges, so he mm-hmm. he would not be able to necessarily keep that rhythm. and. Sure. Certainly not at the pace you were going at. And then when you challenged and did the one, two, three, four, as opposed to the one, two, three, four. Now we're actually working on that with the interactive metronome program. Where All right, right. Clapping. We're going to be working on that next um, in the sequence, but he's not quite there yet. So um, maybe I'm wondering if the kids that you do these workshops with are um, a little bit at the higher capacities um, or, and maybe older or younger. So uh, just those questions popped into my head, however you'd like to um, address them. (laughs) Sure. I'll address uh, the latter one first, this idea of different developmental levels and different uh, abilities entering into the space. I think as with, once again, as with a lot of good floor time, being a workshop facilitator requires a lot of flexibility. Um, So the model that I kind of laid out for you, is the, I guess the general, the, um, I'm trying to think of the word. That's not ideal per se, but it's like the lesson plan, if you will, that all the others diverge off of. So, for example, another modality that I have makes use of like a musical chair ideal, but idea rather, <clears throat> but it is poetry chairs, right? Or rhythmical chairs. If I'm being really silly, sometimes I describe it like that. So the rhythm work there isn't necessarily the clapping and the stomping, but it's getting up and moving around chairs like musical chairs while I read. And the reading takes different speeds, um, has different affect, right? Depending on the book or the poem that the class is working with. This is something I do with students who might be functioning at lower developmental capacity. It's something I do with younger and especially early childhood, uh, the Rebecca School runs as young as three years old, and I work with classes all over the school, some working with ages three through 21. So each workshop takes on its own um, elements. So this like rhythmical chairs example, I might be, if I'm working with a younger group, there was an old lady who swallowed a fly, right? So I might be like, and then while I'm holding out that sound, everyone's like standing up, who was a lady who swallowed a fly? I don't know why she swallowed the fly. Perhaps she'll die. And then when we get to the end of that little verse, everyone knows to sit down or pause or stop their body however they're able to. And that's how we move forward. And then eventually the writing of that might become a sort of ad lib of there was an old blank who swallowed a blank. Working on filling in those blanks with the idea being that eventually we can work as a group and get to the point where we don't need 
that ad lib scaffolding. It can just be our own poems, our own ideas, like there was, and dot, dot, dot. Um, so each session takes its own form, depending on the individual differences of the students and poets who are entering into the space. Uh, yeah. That's so cool. So you are providing, you're, you're doing exactly the floor time in general, where you're scaffolding their learning and their participation by, like you said, providing that sketch of what we're going to do and then maybe mm-hmm. leaving off a blank. And then as they progress, you don't need the whole sentence. They're just going to come up with their own sentence, like whether it's Optimus Prime or, or something <laughs> like that. Um, yeah. I did a podcast uh, recently about scripting with the oh, cool. IR expert. And so I'm wondering if you get a lot of kids who come in scripting movie lines that they've heard or or things that um, are emotionally meaningful to them. So I, you mentioned the Optimus Prime that mm-hmm. you came in to engage them with, but um, they might come in with a Thomas the Train line or something from a Disney movie. And mm-hmm. that might be, I'm, I'm guessing that you'll use that and incorporate it as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one, of my, one of my favorite examples actually working on this, there was an old lady, there was a child with a device who really loved uh, food and would always talk about food, um, which isn't necessarily a script, it's more just a passion, but um, <laughs> we were working at the ad-lib stage of it, and it goes, there was an old lady who swallowed, and I just see him like punching into his device, he get really excited, and then he like, lets it sound, and there was an old lady who swallowed, cookies, 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 cookies. <laughs> it was this amazing moment of, you know, like, here's this kid's passion, he's using his device in this like appropriate poetic space, and it was I don't know, it's really joyful as, as it should be. Um, but in regards to that scripting piece in particular, I'm pretty fortunate in having the Rebecca School speech department to work with. And I invite a lot of therapists into my sessions. I invite occupational therapists, speech therapists, uh, psychologists, physical therapists, all to come in for, um, you know, if they want to push into the group, I love having that. If they want to come observe and just give me feedback bringing in that interdisciplinary approach and the speech department at Rebecca school in particular does a lot of work on uh, scripting. They have an amazing presentation that they've given at ICDL and elsewhere. Um, and so using that to kind of inform my, my own practice and my own thoughts on the workshop, you know, at the start, we were talking about how the workshop uh, is an exploration and a kind of digging into a specific student's voice at that college and that university setting. And I think of the same thing, in these workshop spaces, right? These workshops are still an exploration of voice. But I think of that in a little more literal sense uh, for this population of learners. So I think of it in regards to self-expression and self-advocacy, you know, throughout the day, especially outside of the bubble of floor time and floor time school, special education in America, especially, I'm sure it's similar in Canada. You know, our students are given the opportunities for a lot of activities for daily living on top of their other, you know, state mandated responsibilities and tasks and tests, et cetera. And while that's good, I think creativity is an activity for daily living in and of itself, right? If we're giving students these kind of job training skills, but sending them out in the world with the expectation that they can uh, maybe like stock shelves, we should also be giving them the space to practice self-expression creatively through whatever mediums they want so that once they've done that for a couple of years, they're able to find within themselves to go and ask for a raise or ask for the next level 
just like their neurotypical peers. You know, arts education is pretty prevalent, though often underfunded in schools, and yet it's at a loss in most special education programs. So when in running these workshops, I want them to be a space for the poets who enter to feel safe, regardless of whether this is their first session or they've been in workshops for a while, to say what they want and what they feel they need and to practice that self-advocacy, have the room to say it. So if they do want to talk about Disney movies, that's cool. And, you know, maybe that's where we start. Maybe we start just getting lines and lines and lines of Disney princesses, but by validating that, by saying, like, this is cool, this is welcome in this poem that we're making all together. One session, maybe, we get something new. And that something new could be another Disney line. And we validate that and say, this is welcome. This is always welcome. And then after times and times of doing that, when the student feels safe, the student feels validated and realizes that what they're saying, what they're expressing is being heard, then we really start getting beautiful, beautiful work. Oh, that's amazing. Um, again, so many floor time principles there, following the child's lead, um, mm-hmm. making them feel safe so that they are showing us their intrinsic motivation to be with us, to want to be in that share world, to want to share their experiences and communicate with us. And um, I wonder if you have any more examples, because I'm sure the listeners would love to hear some of these examples. Like when you said, once that safety is established, that's the R and D-I-R, the relationship. They feel safe. They have that relationship with you, with the others in the room. And you said beautiful things start to happen. Can you describe what are some of the beautiful things you've witnessed? Sure. Uh, So recently, the the Rebecca School, like yearly uh, education theme is all about me. Um, and it's about, you know, exploring the self and self-confidence and self-awareness, self-advocacy, all the things that I like to work on already. So in a group with students there, uh, like middle grade aged, uh, maybe functioning at some of the lower developmental capacities, I'm using the picture book, I Like Myself by Karen Beaumont, uh, which is a wonderful little book. It's rhythmic. It's got amazing artwork by David uh, Carto, I believe. Uh, I might have misnamed I'll, that. I'll look it up and I'll um, yeah. put it in the blog with a link. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, so it's like, I like myself. I'm glad I'm me. There's no one else I'd rather be. And it goes on from there. And so after we read it, um, we turn it around and we talk about what the classroom likes. And there's this one girl who every time there's a page with a lion and every time she sees a lion in the picture book. She always uh, says Simba and thinks about the Lion King. And there are other like Disney connections that are made. So oftentimes in the writing portion, we get that same Disney feedback. Uh, but recently the class asked me if I would switch it up for Mother's Day because they just didn't have the classroom time that week to make Mother's Day cards. And they wanted to know if I would help them. And I was like, yeah, sure. You know, like this isn't like too far off what I'm trying to do anyway. <clears throat> so we read... Um, uh, oh man, I always, it's like a tongue twister. Uh, Ma, or Mama Llama, Ma, I, uh, so Mama Llama something drama. Uh, so we switched up. The, I've heard of, I re, that sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah, I can't think of the title exactly. It's like a tongue twister to me though. It's all the syllables. I have a lot of trouble pronouncing, but I read it. Um, and this poet, this uh, young girl, when we got to the writing, we were talking about things that we like to do. Uh, with our moms as a way to scaffold and work on writing Mother's Day cards. 
And rather than getting the Disney lines we might have gotten, she said, uh, go into grandma's house. And it was this amazing, like, tender opening of, of her and her expression. Um, and yeah, it's still like, it really gives me chills. It's really cool <laughs> to just like get that feedback after, at this point, months and months of working um, and getting more of the scripted language, which was purposeful oftentimes. Um, but here was something really genuine. Like she really loved going over to her grandmother's house with her mother and wanted that to be the expression and made it very clear that, that is what she wanted. Yeah, and, and oftentimes it is really hard for our kids to communicate that with us. So Absolutely. Um, the fact that she felt safe enough to share that it must have been a really moving moment for you as the facilitator. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah. It took me back in the best way possible. You know, I was up at the whiteboard and I just like handed her the marker. And when I, when she wrote it, I just, I mean, I paused and I like turned to the other classroom staff. And I probably had like a goofy smile on my face and like they're all smiling. It is a good, good moment. One of those like real moments of like, like shared joy with the student but also a real feeling of like success as classroom staff as well right one of those moments where you really see the work and see the results of the work in amazing ways yeah and and that's what I was going to ask next um along those lines you must um see a lot of the students over the course of a few years or many years Mm -hmm. and it must be really rewarding to see the development and the progress that they make and specifically in your workshops. Can you describe a little bit about the stages that you witness from a young child who maybe is three or four or five um, who might just be able to sort of concentrate and and play the musical chair game to your rhythm to Mm -hmm. a point where they're making their poetry. Is there, is there, um, can you think of some examples or just in general about how you witness that development in the poetry realm specifically? Yeah, sure. Um, so not necessarily with the younger students, um, but with the student I started with who is like middle school age when I started. So that was as backtracking a little bit as a teaching assistant, I worked in a younger middle school aged room. And so when I started my program, it was an extra, uh, yeah, an extracurricular group, an affinity group, as the school calls them. And it was just over the summertime, I had six students. Then over time, that grew and grew and grew and grew into the creative writing teacher position. So this student is a student I had started with, who is now um, graduating, so to speak, this year. He hasn't aged out of the program, but he's moved up developmentally to the point where he was accepted into another school in Manhattan. Um, and is moving on from Rebecca school, which is a really amazing thing. And when I worked with him, he had just come in from a run of difficult school experiences. And I worked with him as a teaching assistant in the classroom and also brought him into my poetry session. And we were working on this poem one time and it took him a while to really want to even share. He came to the group with me mainly because of our relationship in the classroom. I was one of his uh, main TAs. And so when I had this group, I invited him. And he came and was kind of participating, kind of not. Um, and I had this parent tour come in. And it was the day he decided he wanted to share. And I was so excited because he had never shared before. And now this parent tour is coming in. I'm like, oh, cool. This is going to be like 
really wonderful. And he holds up this picture and he goes, uh, so this is death and this is Dan and this is Rob and Dan is stabbing Rob and Rob is bleeding on the floor. <laughs> There's like eight parents in the room and I'm like, yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, all right. And I'm thinking, well, there goes like my job. There goes this group. Like now, oh, no. now this is it. You know? Um, and so that's, uh, three, four now years ago. Where is that? Um, and we've gotten to the point this year, I have them in my workshop, which is really my workshop that's functioning at the highest developmental levels. So much so that they're putting out a book uh, at the end of this year, uh, a little collection of lit mag, literary magazine, as it were, of their work. Um, and this poet just wrote a sonnet, right? So uh-huh. we, we go from this drawing of <laughs> two stick figure people stabbing each other called death to a full-on 14-line sonnet about all the things he loves and cares about in the world. Um, and that progress was slow, and that progress took four years. But, but getting there is really amazing, and I'm probably going to cry my eyes out when I see him graduate. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And, I mean, um, also uh, at Affect Autism on the blog, um, of course, it's centered around play because DIR is about playful, shared interaction. Mm-hmm. Um, our children learn through play, and certainly any kind of creative outlet is a form of play. And um, that kind of thing was um, a learning experience for me when I first started uh, learning more about floor time is that type of thing would have kind of scared me and, and uh, alerted me to hear a child um, say something like that, like, oh, where is that coming from? And uh, when I took one of the courses at ICDL, I think it was the one of the beginner levels, I remember the the course teacher saying, um, showing an interaction in floor time where the child was locking up the, the therapist in jail and, mm. and, um, it involved, you know, like, uh, guns and this and that. And, um, I was horrified. And then also Jake Greenspan giving the example of working with a child who was talking about and had already planned the store that he was going to buy a gun at and he was going to shoot everybody because everything was so frustrating and Mm -hmm. realizing that that is necessary because um, I don't, who knows what the the stick figure was in your case. I'm not, don't necessarily need to get into that, but in Jake's case, when he did the back and forth with the child, he, and he's talked about this publicly um, that you learned that the child was bullied at school and wasn't being heard at home. And by Jake giving him the outlet to share this experience, they talked through, well, what would that feel like if you actually did that? And, you know, most people would not want to go there because they think yeah. oh, that's going to make the child want to go shoot everybody. But in fact, it's the opposite. The child is playing with the ideas and that's, that's what play is about. It's, it's, it's practicing practicing life without consequences so oh that would feel great wouldn't it oh but would you also feel maybe bad about that you know and exploring all of the different things and then through that resolution the child didn't need to go shoot up anyone um in the case of the child playing lockup maybe they were experiencing challenges in school or with siblings or with neighborhood kids or with parents or whatever and needed to work through that um 
lock you up and, and make you trapped and then getting free. And mm. in this case, who knows if the child saw a movie that was violent or who knows if um, they were just imagining something, who knows what it was, but providing that outlet for play and not being scared of what the kids bring to us because that's where we want to work through the ideas and, and resolve that. And so giving them that opportunity then allows them to adapt and move forward and, and have this creative expression. Um, if we're, if we're thwarting their expression, they're not going to be able to be creative. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, poetry is to me as a poet wordplay, right? Like that's one way to think of it. And that's how I like to think of it, especially in these settings. And, you know, like I mentioned, I invite a lot of therapists, including the clinical team and the psychologists into my space too, to help with situations. If they do, like, especially when I was first starting, like that scenario, get a little stickier. If I feel uncomfortable facilitating it, you know, my focus, my goals are a lot of expression and arts education based goals. Um, so I like to include other disciplines in the conversation, right? The more interdisciplinary something can be, the more I'm able as a facilitator to look at the whole child. And the more I think the poet and the child is able to move up developmentally and reach those goals like this poet who is now moving on to a school that will better suit where he's at academically and emotionally and developmentally. Yeah, and it's it's really amazing that the Rebecca School offers this because um, I did a podcast uh, about music therapy with John Carpente, and mm -hmm. then, you know, this poetry. So having that, some kids will gravitate to the music, some kids will gravitate to the poetry, some kids might gravitate towards sports or or mm -hmm. um, other activities and or visual arts. So it's, yeah. it's just so wonderful to have all of these opportunities at the Rebecca School. Um, so, I mean, that that's fantastic because I really have never heard of poetry workshops, but then, you know, I've never looked for them either. <laughs> and I imagine that some of our listeners might be saying, hey, um, first of all, is that poetry book uh, from the Rebecca School going to be for sale to the public? Or can I get one? And mm -hmm. second, they're going to be saying, um, hey, do you, Donnie Welch, do training and train other people to do poetry workshops? Because maybe I live in California or maybe I live in um, Lithuania or maybe I live somewhere else. And I'm listening to this podcast and it's such a good idea. I want to do it in my school or in my community. Uh, will you train me how to do it? Um, is that is that something you do or maybe you'll consider doing? <laughs> um, yeah, I'd answer the first question. The book, unfortunately, is not for sale outside of the Rebecca School community, just to respect the privacy of all the poets and their families. Um, that's something that stays insular. Uh, however, in regards to myself and trainings, yeah, I do. Uh, I really love training people. I recently did a training at the Brooklyn Public Library with their librarians talking about bringing sensory play and movement into their reading activities and their reading lessons. Um, so yes, I'm happy to travel. I'm happy to do webinars. Um, and then I also, uh, so I have a website, which is just Donnie Welch Poetry. It's my name and then poetry.com. And on there, you can contact me. Uh, you also can buy my own books. I put out two books about these workshops and sort of the methodology behind them. One is a collection of lesson plans for that tabletop fine motor kind of play. And then the other is the methodology and a step-by-step -step guide to doing the sort of gross motor play 
in regards to poetry. Um, and both those are available just as eBooks um, on my site. But I love talking about it. And really, the more people I can get excited about poetry, the better. Oh, that's fantastic. I'll put links to all of that on my website. And um, also on, on the affectautism.com website, there's a shop um, link where I have a section for books and a section for products. And so I'm definitely going to add your stuff on there because yeah, thank um, you. it's amazing. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, not only have I not heard of this kind of activity for poetry specifically, but for it to be under the realm of a DIR approach is so unique and um yeah that's that's wonderful that you're doing this and i i hope that you'll be presenting at icdl conferences and rebecca school conference and i I imagine you already have but um this is the type of thing that should be heard everywhere because this it's really fantastic and and um i thank you so much for sharing all this uh with us is there anything else you wanted to talk about in terms of the poetry workshops um about that we haven't gone through yet that, that you wanted to share? Not necessarily. I would like, I guess, to take a moment. Um, I think it, it's interesting you mentioned how important this is under the developmental model, but I think as an arts educator, all arts education is, and if it isn't, should be inherently developmental work, right? So just soapboxing for a minute. You know, you can't really control or... Um, like correct for creativity and you shouldn't you can only really guide and help grow it in students right and this is why i think poetry and visual art and music all these other things you mentioned are and should be inherently developmental right because we can't like force someone to write poetry that's like cia grade torture stuff <laughs> you know you but if someone comes to you and is interested in this and this is the way they want to express themselves, right? Share their inner lives, as it were. Um, then that's something you should be able to take and run with. And yeah, that's all I'd say about that. Yeah, and and I'll go back to the point I made, which is you know maybe people don't even know that that's what they want. So by mm-hmm. introducing it to all of the kids, um, maybe you get a kid who was trapped inside, dying to come out but nothing really uh, felt right for them until they went to your poetry workshop and they're like, yeah, this is it. This is me. All of a sudden you see them blossom. So I think that's why it's so important to present all of these kinds of, I don't know if you call them medium or practices. You mentioned interdisciplinary uh, approaches, but just, yeah, like interdisciplinary art, art approaches too. Um, and having the OTs in there, having the speech pathologists in there, having the psychologists in there, um, and when everybody is thinking developmentally and everybody has that DIR model in the back of their head, like magic happens because mm-hmm. you all support each other. And that OT then in a session later on can refer back to the poetry session and, and use that to engage the child because they were so engaged in that poetry session. And then the psychologist can look at, you know, why were the stick figures stabbing each other or whatever and like, yeah. help yeah, the yeah. child express that. And maybe it, maybe there's nothing behind it. Maybe the child just saw kids fighting and, and thinks that's cool. Right. Because they don't, mm-hmm. they're not aware yet of the consequences of stabbing someone. So they just think it looked cool and they have a little yeah. bit of excess energy. You don't know what it is, but just having um, that interdisciplinary approach and everybody on the same page is just, 
if only every every place had a Rebecca school. <laughs> That's what I think. Yeah, yeah, it's quite the place. Well, thank you so much, Donnie. I'm so glad that uh, we had a chance to talk and that our listeners get to hear about your poetry workshops. And again, go to DonnieWelchPoetry.com or go to AffectAutism.com and type in poetry, Donnie Welch, um, and you can look at today's blog post. I'll, I'll put links to everything we talked about. And you can listen on the audio podcast. You can watch the YouTube video of this video podcast. And um, if anyone has any comments uh, or experiences to share, they can post them on the blog or contact uh, me or Donnie through our websites. And um, that's wonderful. So thank you. Thank you so much again. Yeah, thank you. This has been a blast. Absolutely. Until next time, here's to affecting autism through play.